Hello everyone and welcome back to the Movie Dicks Podcast. I am Gabriel Chavez. And I am Paul Schindel. Today we teabag the 2008 over-the-hill comedy Stepbrothers. But first, this is a comedy podcast. If you have not seen the movie we are about to shit on and want to avoid spoilers, stop now. But if you don't care about spoilers and want to laugh and learn why this movie sucks so bad, put your testicles back in your pants and don't touch my FUCKING DRUM SET! <laughs> this is a Columbia Pictures release in association with Relativity Media, Apatow Productions, Mosaic and Gary Sanchez Productions. Somehow my autocorrect autocorrected that is Apatosaurus Productions. Apatosaurus. <laughs> yeah. And Gary Sanchez Productions. Colombian Relativity we went over previously in our episode 13 podcast for the abhorrent movie Gili with Benifer. Apatow Productions we haven't gone into yet, but I have a long, long falling out with Judd Apatow and his bullshit. We will have to save that for a later podcast. Anyway. Apatow Productions recently had The King of Staten Island, which is an okay movie, but overall had no purpose and wasn't that funny. Slacker comedies have already been perfected by the likes of early Wes Anderson, Richard Linklater, and even Kevin Smith. Side note, fuck you, Kevin Smith, you're a fucking <laughs> hack. He hasn't done anything original in 20 years, but I digress. They gave us Superbad, one of my favorites despite how poorly it's aged with the gay panic, etc. The hilarious Bridesmaids, the still funny Knocked Up. Forgetting Sarah Marshall, The 40-Year-Old Virgin, the TV show Love on Netflix, Pineapple Express, the excellent movie The Big Sick, and so many more. They gave us the unapologetic shit heap that is Year One, Wanderlust, Drillbit Taylor, Trainwreck, Funny People, The Boring Get Him to the Greek with former star Russell Brand. Dude, what the fuck happened to him? He was in like everything and now he's just like nowhere. I haven't seen Russell Brand in years. Anyway, they also did Talladega Nights and of course Anchorman 1 and 2. Comedy, of course, is a product of its time, and my opinion is my own. I do believe Year One is an abysmally terrible movie, though. Mosaic is responsible for one of the... What? You got something to say about Year One, motherfucker? Wait, which one is that? Jack Black, Jack Black, and Michael Sarah. Okay, yeah, yeah. That's giant shit. Hey, moving on. Yeah, moving on. Mosaic is responsible for one of my favorite short-lived TV shows called Downward Dog. It's a fucking hilarious show, and it was a shame that short-sighted fuckhead executives couldn't see it as its long-term potential. Fuck you, ABC, you dumb shits. <laughs> they also had a hand in the excellent animation series Afro Samurai and the rather excellent heist movie by Dante's peak director Roger Donaldson called The Bank Job. I have to preface my next statement with an apology to a couple of fans of the podcast. Laura Townsend and Rachel Bustamante, I'm sorry for what I'm about to say. Elf fucking sucks. <laughs> there, I got it out of the way. I'm sorry, but I still love both of you, even though you like this terrible movie. Anyway, joining Elf in the same shit film category that Mosaic has had a hand in are Get Smart with Steve Carell, She's Out of My League with Jay Barrochell, War with Jet Li and Jason Statham, What Happens in Vegas with Fuck You Ashton Kutcher, (laughs) Border Town with J-Lo, Shout Out New Mexico Film, The Brothers Grimm, Semi-Pro, Holmes and Watson. Somebody defend this fucking steaming pile to me. I dare you. I'm dead serious. (laughs) If anybody fucking wants to say why this is actually a funny movie, I fucking dare you. They also did Scooby-Doo from 2002 and its sequel, The Lazarus Effect, Bulletproof Monk. Just what the fuck was Chow Yun-Fat thinking when he did that movie? 
and Rollerball, the Chris Klein LL Cool J, director <laughs> of Die Hard, Hunt for Red October, and Predator pile of shit that has a 14 on Metacritic and is rated as the 38th worst movie of all time on IMDb. You watched the uh, the original? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen yeah, the original. Yeah. yeah, it's called Rollerball. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty. Yeah, good. I didn't mind it. Yeah. <laughs> was that Patrick Swayze or who was in that? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, fight? yeah. I think so. That was like uh, 1983. Maybe it was 75. I could be completely wrong. Good movie, along with you know Death Race 2000 and <laughs> Omega Man and those kind of movies. Yeah. <laughs> they don't make those, those movies anymore, man. It's a fucking yeah. shame. They need to go back to that style of filmmaking. <laughs> I swear. Quick side note here, I will say that like that uh that director who did Brawl on Cell Block ninety nine, mm-hmm. that guy, like he's definitely sort of in that same realm. Like Brawl on Cell Block ninety one yeah. reminded me a lot of movies like that. And I was just like, This is good shit, man. I hope he keeps yeah. running with it. Yeah. No, that movie actually had me tearing up oh, at yeah? the end when he uh <laughs> calls his wife for the last time. Ooh. It was a good uh good little piece right there. You're getting soft in your old age, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> and then he goes and smashes the, the drug lord's face in. That's pretty yeah. good. Yeah, classic. You know what happens when you get soft, Paul, right? <laughs> you get dirty. Get... <laughs> <laughs> Pandora will eat you alive and shit you out. <laughs> Gary Sanchez Productions is responsible for some good shit in the likes of the HBO show Secession, Vice with Christian Bale as Dick Cheney, and Drunk History. But they did give us the virginity hit, Tammy with Melissa McCarthy, the house with Will Ferrell, the goods live hard, sell hard, get hard, daddy's home, as well as the sequel, and the Hansel and Gretel witch hunters movie, all of which have a 35 or below on Metacritic. What? Even the goods? Come on, that movie is amazing. (laughs) All right, the goods is funny. It's funny, but it's it's not a good movie. I mean, to be honest, it's not a good movie, but it is funny. Which is something that I can't say about Step Brothers. I fucking hate this movie, but I will continue on. <laughs> Eight juveniles are responsible for this embarrassment. Of these producers, I want to talk about David B. Householder and Jimmy Miller. Writer, director, and producer Adam McKay, I'll get to in a moment. Householder has been involved with some real awful shit over the years. When the top-rated movie that you have ever done is Ron Burgundy followed by Passengers, you know you <laughs> haven't had a great time picking good movies. He produced Norbit. If you don't remember this movie, that's probably a good thing. It was a comedy romance where Eddie Murphy played both a skinny guy and an overweight woman who fall in love. Yes, America, you gave this movie $95 million of your fucking pockets. (laughs) Was that the movie that right before uh pluto nash that uh part yes of, you know was part yes. of eddie yes. eddie murphy's Eddie's downfall down. and just <laughs> yes. yeah, yeah. Yes. he's back baby though he's back yeah yeah to go yep. into hiding yep. for 20 years so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's true but dolomite was great man dolomite was great i dig it he also produced sex tape with jason seagal and cameron diaz clock stoppers with fucking french stewart the core which we examined in episode 12 of this podcast jumanji the next level shout out new mexico film venom which is fucking awful just like heaven with reese witherspoon and like i said passengers which took one of the best scripts i have ever read and shit on it to become this trite and lackluster hollywood extravaganza of forced chemistry jimmy miller has had an even worse career his top rated movie he produced was elf followed by Step Brothers, but his real sins here are Holmes and Watson, always watching a Marvel Hornets story, 
Land of the Lost, In the Tall Grass for Netflix, and Ode to Joy, a fucking terrible movie I actually worked on with Martin Freeman. This movie was so awful, 38 on Metacritic, because it was shot by this cunt named David This motherfucker would constantly violate union rules by touching everything he wasn't supposed to from other departments, which is ultimately what I screamed at him about on this movie, and he consistently condescended me every time he opened his mouth. One of my favorite things I yelled at him before I left the movie to do something else was, You're not God, Davey. Just because you speak doesn't mean the world stops and has to listen to you. If I wanted to listen to you, I'd be looking at you. Otherwise, shut the fuck up. (laughs) It's been over four years since I've seen him. But if I ever see you again, you fucking douchebag, I'm going to be considerably less courteous than I was on set, and that's including me calling you a dumb cunt to your face when we were in that basement in Brooklyn. (laughs) None of this is the fault of producer Jimmy Miller, by the way, but it couldn't be avoided. Anyway, I digress again. (laughs) This movie stars the dick click that is Will Ferrell and John C. Riley, as well as Mary Steenburgen. Richard Jenkins, Adam Scott, and Katherine Hahn. Will Ferrell is, of course, famous for his overall buffoonery in pretty much everything he's starred in. He has 126 acting credits on IMDb, and rather than start with his best, as I usually do, I want to start with his worst. You're fucking 53 years old, Will. I know you're still cashing checks, but will you continue to wipe your balls on everything on screen when you're in your 70s? His most derided movie is Holmes and Watson with a solid 24 on Metacritic and even worse, 10% on RottenTomatoes.com. He was also in another awful movie I worked on called Drunk Parents as a Bum, Zeroville with co-Dick Click member James Franco, Zoolander 2, the awful remake of the incredible French movie Force Majeure called Downhill, Bewitched Boat Trip with the former star and Academy Award winner Cuba Gooding Jr. Superstar with Molly Shannon, The Ladies' Man with Tim Meadows, Drowning Mona, Casa de Mi Padre, and A Night at the Roxbury. Why the fuck do people like this movie so much? Dead serious. Somebody Which tell movie? me why. Night at the Roxbury? Night at the Roxbury. I hated it. Yeah, that's a piece of shit. I don't know I why don't people know. love this shit, man. But like every once in a while, I'll be talking to somebody about Night at the Roxbury and they're like, oh man, that movie's great, man. What the fuck are you talking about? I'm like, what the fuck are you smoking, man? <laughs> like, Jesus Christ. Let's take a 10 year old SNL skit and make a movie out of it. Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly what it is. Like all those other great. movies that we did that with <laughs> that came out great. his good movies are a much smaller list though the lego movie the excellent stranger than fiction which he is great in megamind despite it being completely forgettable and everything must go as well as the movies i feel more lukewarm about but don't think are totally awful like old school austin powers jay and silent bob strike back again fuck you kevin smith and wedding crashers with my second wife rachel mcadams Before you ask, Paul, I have not seen Eurovision yet, so I don't want to hear it right now. (laughs) John C. Riley is an excellent actor. He alternates between comedy and heavy drama, and he is always excellent at both. Even in this movie, he's my favorite part of this flick. I had the pleasure of meeting him randomly in L.A. in 2012 when I first moved there. I was eating at the absolutely amazing Roscoe's Chicken and Waffle near Pasadena, and I saw him walk into the cash register to pay. I didn't want to bother him, but I had to talk to him (laughs) as his eating at this classic L.A. establishment was not to be ignored for me to process. Despite him not eating at the OGs, Roscoe and Inglewood, but again, I digress. I introduced myself and told him 
that I was a fan of his work in Magnolia, Boogie Nights, The Thin Red Line, and Gangs of New York, and his eyes opened wide, and he thanked me for being a fan and said, a lot of people forget about my dramatic work, to which I replied, not me, John, and he took a picture <laughs> with me. He was so nice and even paid for my meal despite not knowing me and him leaving. He added my meal to his tab and paid for it anyway, which was fucking kind of awesome, actually. I didn't know God, the guy. That's pretty awesome. But... For that, I'll always remember and admire this man as I admire his work in those films as well as What's Eating Gilbert Grape, The Aviator. We need to talk about Kevin, The Hours, The Lobster, Hard Eight, Stan and Ollie, Carnage despite its unfair critical analysis, State of Grace, Casualties of War, The Sisters Brothers, the unfairly panned movie Cyrus, Le Cowboys, Tale of Tales, and I'll even give him the perfect storm with Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch. <laughs> <laughs> as far as his shit movies, he did the American remake of Dark Water with Jennifer Connelly, the promotion with Sean William Scott, the inexplicably bad Cirque du Freak, and Above the Law with the animated Muppet Fat Boy that is Steven Seagal. You're a real piece of shit, you fucking fuckhead. Besides the back. <laughs> Mary Steenburgen is most well-known to me. As Clara Clayton in Back to the Future Part 3. Fucking love that movie, by the way. <laughs> she has had 111 acting credits on IMDb, and her best are The Help with the Force of Nature herself, Viola Davis, voicing the English track of the tale of Princess Kaguya, which is a fucking excellent movie, by the way. What's Eating Gilbert Grape, Philadelphia, a.k.a. the first Oscar win for Tom Hanks. The one I love, Nixon, which we've mentioned at least twice on this podcast, <laughs> which is kind of crazy. Time After Time with Malcolm McDowell. Side note, watch The Truth Seekers on Amazon if you haven't with Nick Frost and Simon Pegg oh, and yeah, Malcolm McDowell. It's dope <laughs> shit, man. I like yeah. that a lot. <laughs> yeah. It was quick, but uh, it was oh, a lot yeah. of fun. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Their fucking heads exploding is hilarious, too. <laughs> she was also in Parenthood with Steve Martin and this year's Happiest Season. She was also in Inland Empire, a.k.a. the most self-aggrandizing, self-masturbatory, and self-indulgent bullshit movie directed by episode 18's movie, Eraserhead from the sex-fearing David Lynch. By the way, fuck you, David. You're a piece of shit. Richard Jenkins, we went into episode 12 for the core, and he's a legend. He should really be in better shit. That's all I'm going to say about Richard Jenkins. But I'm going to skip over Adam Scott, because while he was in Star Wars First Contact... Wait, what? Star Wars? Yeah, he was the defiant con officer to which Worf slams his hand down on the con and says, perhaps today is a oh, good Star day to die. Star Trek. Star Trek. What did I say? Star Wars. Did I? You said Star Wars first contact, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Star Trek first contact. Wow. I drank more than I thought, apparently. But anyway, <laughs> he's also in The Aviator and The Disaster Artist. His being in the 2004 action movie Torque, though, with Martin Henderson, as well as the return with Sarah Michelle Gellar, undoes any goodwill that he's gained with me. That's all I gotta say. Catherine Hahn, I love. Flat out. This woman is so funny, fun, and fantastic. I won't begrudge her and her bad movies. You gotta check out her amazing work in Transparent on Amazon. If you haven't seen that TV show, it's fucking incredible. She brought me to tears both from laughter and heartbreak in this series, and I can't recommend it enough. She also lended her voice to the excellent Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, co-starred in the excellent and underwatched Captain Fantastic, co-starred in a small role as David Harbour's wife in the brutal and incredibly well-acted Revolutionary Road, she was also in the travel porn movie called The Secret Life of Walter Mitty and The Funny Bad Moms 1 and 2. She's also great in Central Park, the animated show on Apple TV+. Check it out. 
This movie was written by, quote unquote, I read this is, i.e. improvised by, Will Ferrell and Adam McKay, and the story was written by these guys as well as John C. Riley. This movie is directed by Adam McKay. Adam is a bit of an odd case in that he has directed 12 movies, four of which that are in pre-production are currently filming, including a comedy with Leonardo DiCaprio and Jennifer Lawrence called Don't Look Up, about a pair of astronomers trying to warn everyone on Earth that a giant meteor will kill everyone in six months. <laughs> of the eight that remain, one is a documentary by him and 22 other directors called We the Economy, and the others are narratives. He started his career with Anchorman in 2004, following it up with Talladega Nights, Step Brothers, The Other Guys, Anchorman 2, and then changed his entire style and genre to make the star-studded Academy Award-winning movie The Big Short about the mortgage crisis mm. and crash of 2008. That movie was nominated for five Oscars, including Best Picture and Adam for Best Director. He also won an Oscar, actually, for that movie for Best Adapted Screenplay, which is kind of wild. So That's crazy. Now, when you see his name on trailers, even if it's Step Brothers, you could say, from Academy Award winner Adam <laughs> McKay. <laughs> his most recent movie was the excellent If Undercooked Vice with Christian Bale playing Chaney and Sam Rockwell as W. This movie was produced on a budget of $65 million and was released on, yeah, right? And was released on July 25th, 2008 at 3,182 theaters to an opening of $30.94 million. This movie opened in the number two spot that weekend behind Christopher Nolan's masterpiece that is The Dark Knight in its second week, a mere $45 million ahead with its $75.2 million (laughs) weekend. But this movie did open above the Pierce Bryant. Brosnan ABBA musical Mamma Mia in the number three spot for its second week. The X-Files I Want to Believe in its first weekend in the number four spot. And finally, the Brendan Fraser family movie called Journey to the Center of the Earth rounding out the top five that week. Yeah, Brendan Fraser actually had a top five movie one time, which is kind of incredible, actually. Well, that that movie and, you know, like The Mummy. The Mummy did really well as well. Out this same time were Hancock, Wally. Hellboy 2, Space Chimps Wanted, <laughs> Iron Man, The Happening, and Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Goddamn Skull. What a fucking weird year, man. We keep <laughs> sort of inadvertently ending up at this year. This must have been like a ripple in space time that we keep looping back to or something like that. I don't know why. Like, we didn't even realize that when we were talking about Flux this Flux Nexus space time <laughs> or something. I don't yeah. Know. Absolutely. I don't doubt that at all. With a movie like Step Brothers, just fucking broke all realms of decency and human dignity. <laughs> this movie makes Step Brothers the 80th highest opening movie of all time for the month of July, being led by the hilarious 2017 movie Girls Trip and being trailed by the Sasha Baron Conan fashionista comedy Bruno from 2009. It's also the 103rd highest opening R-rated movie of all time behind the abysmal Sex in the City 2, but ahead of the Apatow-directed Knocked Up. Step Brothers was in theaters for 160 days and went on to gross $100.4 million domestically and $27.6 million internationally, bringing its overall to $128 million. This gross makes Step Brothers the 169th... <laughs> 69. <laughs> R-rated movie of all time worldwide, led by the 2010 Robert Downey Jr. movie Due Date, shout out New Mexico Film again, and being trailed by the Skinamax wannabe Fifty Shades Freed from 2018, which features an abused woman marrying her abuser. But I digress yet again. 
the country that avoided this juvenile jockstrap of a movie was Ethiopia <laughs> with a $4,782 gross. A disclaimer I've used before here, but it's necessary again. It is very, very, very fucking difficult to find Ethiopian box numbers results for movies, especially during 2008. So if you are unhappy with my following statistical analysis, I encourage you to do your own fucking research and see if you come up with better numbers than I can for top grossing movies in Ethiopia. That goes along as well for my estimated asses and seats. It is as fucking impossible to find the cost of a movie ticket in Ethiopia in 2008. But again, if you have a better research or know it better, please help me out as these next numbers took me three hours of research to find. <laughs> that being said... <laughs> The highest grossing movie of all time in Ethiopia, near as I can tell, is Defret. I think I'm saying that correctly. A 2014 Ethiopian biopic about Harut, a 14-year-old girl who shot her would-be husband as he and others were practicing one of the nation's oldest traditions, abduction into marriage. Can you believe that shit, dude? I read that and I was like, that's a fucking thing in some countries? They abduct young women into marriage? How the fuck is that a tradition? <laughs> I'm just saying. Anyway, Defrat Gross. It's easier than dating, probably. I guess. That whole thing. <laughs> I mean, this is like caveman type shit. You just bash him on the head and drag him away by their hair. I'm not condoning that, by the way. Don't fucking isolate <laughs> that shit and say that I condone it. Anyway, Defret grossed a massive $91,841 at the box office in Ethiopia. There was a spike in the Ethiopian inflation index between 2002 and 2008 of 44.36%, but that means at a cost of 216.34 burr in 2008 per ticket, or $23.82 American, which is really fucking high for a movie ticket, by the way. <laughs> that brings total Ethiopian asses and seats to 200.75 people saw this movie opening weekend in Ethiopia. Looks like our dear friend Camille Three Quarters ended up in Ethiopia to see a fucking Step Brothers movie of all things <laughs> in 2008. With a population of 82.92 million people in 2008, that means that 2.421 millionths of Ethiopia's population saw this opening weekend. Step Brothers has an unimpressive 6.9, 69 again, yeah, out of 10 on IMDb with 265,652 votes, a 51 on Metacritic, and a splatty 55% on Rotten Tomatoes with an identical audience score to IMDb of 69%. <laughs> 69. Gotta be like fucking, what's his name, uh, Beavis and Butthead throughout this episode just laughing at <laughs> immature bullshit. <laughs> this movie ranks highest. I'll give you one guess, Paul, who it ranks highest against. I'm saying teenagers under 18. Males? Males under 18? Close. Males aged 18 to 29. Oh, all right. All right. With a 7.8 out of 10. And lowest amongst one more guess, Paul. Uh, females over 40? There you go. Females <laughs> aged over 45 all with right. a 5.2 out of 10. This week, my balls ache from the 30,647 people who voted this a perfect fucking 10 on IMDb. My rating this week, 2 out of 10 stars. I don't know, man. Like, you listen to people talk about this movie, and 
they either hate it or it's their favorite movie of know, all time. It's so it's fucking weird. weird, man. It's so weird. I don't get that. I've caught so much shit about this movie over the years, actually, <laughs> about me hating it. And they're like, what, dude? Bro- Step Brothers is like the best thing ever. Like, what the fuck are you smoking, man? <laughs> but this week, my favorite reviews begin with Bruce DeMara from the Toronto Star. Bruce flings shit at this movie with, quote, a movie of unrelenting idiocy featuring boorish behavior, unrealistic character development, and ludicrous plotting, end quote. Original score, one out of four stars. Joe Newmayer of the New York Daily News spanks out, quote, Watching people act like kids is annoying. Now everyone can join in in the unfun with stepbrothers. Will Ferrell's <laughs> latest summed up in one line concept comedy that tests our patience so much more than his previous movies did. End quote. Original score, one out of five stars. My final favorite review is a little long, but it comes from my favorite critic of all time, Roger Ebert of the Chicago Sun-Times. Ebert guffaws, quote, Step Brothers has a premise that might have produced a good time at the movies, but when I left, I felt a little unclean. Is this funny? Anything can be funny. Let me provide an example. I'm thinking of a particular anatomical act. It is described in explicit detail in two 2008 movies, Step Brothers and the forthcoming Tropic Thunder. In Step Brothers, it sounds dirty and disgusting. In Tropic Thunder, described by Jack Black while he is tied to a tree and undergoing heroin withdrawal, (laughs) it's funny. Same act, similar descriptions, but what's the difference? It involves the mechanism of comedy, I think. The Jack Black character is desperately motivated. He will offer to do anything to be released. But in Step Brothers, the language is simply showing off by talking dirty. It serves no comic function and it just sort of sits there in the air making me cringe, end quote. Original score, 1.5 out of 4 stars. Lastly, Step Brothers is rated R for crude and sexual content and pervasive language. So, Paul, it's October 14th, 2003. We stand in the temperate fall weather of Chicago in October. 39,577 people sit in the stands, 95% full, our highest number yet. It's the 2003 National League Championship Series today, and this night game would go on to live in infamy. The Florida Marlins are taking on the Chicago Cubs in a home game for the Cubbies. The Cubs lead the Marlins 3-1 with one out in the eighth inning. They were a mere five outs away from a chance at their first World Series victory since the famous Merkel's boner incident in 1908 that we (laughs) spoke of in a previous episode. The opposing Marlins had scored a run and had runners on first and second. Cubby's ace, Mark Pryor, fucked up pitching the 20-year-old Marlin Miguel Cabrera as Miguel hit a double play ground directly into Cubs shortstop Alex Gonzalez's mitt. This seems like the perfect setup. The Cubbies would tag out the molasses-assed Cabrera with an easy pitch to first to tag out all three men on the diamond as they dared to advance. The problem is, Alex Gonzalez, the six-foot-tall, 180-pound righty from Miami, Florida, did his Floridians proud both on the field playing against his Cubs and back home by pulling a fucking total Florida move. He forgot to close his hand around the ball that just miracled itself into his fucking mitt. If he had caught it, The Chicago Cubs could have been three outs from the World Series, but because of Gonzalez's Florida moment, 
the Marlins scored eight runs in this inning alone and would go on to win the National League Series as well as the World Series this year. But, Paul, this is the kicker. Gonzalez, the fuckhead from Florida who couldn't be bothered to close his glove around a ball that landed in his glove, was outshined by another massive fuck-up this exact same night. Enter Cubbies fan Steve Bartman. Steve was sitting in by the left field foul line pole. In the same game that Gonzalez floridated the Cubs out of their 95-year drought shot at the World Series, Marlin batter Luis Castillo hit a fly ball into foul territory in the left field. Moises Alou of the Cubs jumped to catch the ball to send it back infield, only to have the Cubbies fan Steve Bartman catch the ball out of Moises' <laughs> hand interfering with the catch and costing the Cubs their chance at the World Series in conjunction with Gonzalez's fuck-up in this same inning. See, Paul? Steve left the game with the faded ball, but received death threats for over 10 years <laughs> as he removed himself from social media. The man in Section 4, Row 8, Seat 113 fucked up the Cubs' chance at the World Series. The ball ended up in the possession of an unnamed attorney, and in December 2013, the ball was sold for $113,824 on eBay to Harry Carey's restaurant only to be blown up, and the <laughs> remains of it are now displayed in the Chicago Sports Museum. Put yourself in the shoes of these men. They were both to blame for the World Series slipping through the Cubby's paws, but it doesn't matter to Chicago fans. They blame Bartman only for the loss. <laughs> so, Paul, you find yourself in a Quantum Leap-style event in the shoes of a pitcher in this game. You see the eighth inning on the board, and you are faced with an unknown player from the Marlins in the fucking batter's box as your eyes come into focus. Do you wind up and pitch knowing it could be one of the two pitches that fucked up Chicago? You decide, fuck it. At least this isn't New York. Fuck the Cubs, and you pull your <laughs> testicles out and your jockstrap to show your speed bag to the audience as you wind up and you pitch this motherfucker to me, Paul. All right, all right. I don't have any scripts or anything like that. I just want to make a movie where we improvise everything. You know, we just sure. make up funny shit uh, on the spot. Sure, sure. I, ha I had this vision of two brothers, stepbrothers, and they build a bunk bed. And then one falls on top of the other. Sure. And that's, sure, that's, that's fine. That's, that's funny. That's the joke. That's the joke. Well, that's fine. This and is like, a, these are like teenagers, right? No, no, no. They're, we're going to have Will Ferrell and, and John C. Riley playing 40 year old stepbrothers that, that live at home. Wait, with their wait, parents. wait. Are, are you talking about like a big kind of thing that like, you know, a 13 year old is miracled into a 30 year old's body? <laughs> No, they're just losers that live at home with their parents. So you're talking about actual 40-year-old men doing this? Yeah, 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 yeah. 40-year-old men okay. acting like children. It's, it's going to be really okay. funny. I, I guarantee it. Because, I mean, you know how Will Ferrell is. He can he can just make comic gold out of anything, right? <laughs> we'll just uh, hand him a baseball glove, and he'll jerk off into it or whatever, <laughs> and we'll have comedy gold. <laughs> You know what, man? It really doesn't matter because anybody in America will go see fucking Will Ferrell's shit because, you know, this country is at the point that we voted Bush a second term. So, fuck it. You know what? It doesn't matter. Nothing matters anymore. Uh, uh, oh, yeah, yeah. What, one more thing, though. I really, really want to push for the Catalina wine mixer event, all right, in this movie. Because I own property. 
Catalina Island. <laughs> and no one goes out there. It's just too expensive. It's this big thing. So I want to make up an event for the movie and film <laughs> it on Trump's golf course. And Wait, and then, Trump actually has a golf course on Catalina Island? He does not have a golf course on Catalina Island. It's in oh, like okay. Santa Cruz or something like Thank that. God. But we'll All film right. it there and just pretend it's Catalina. <laughs> sure. No one goes out there anyways. But okay. right. we're going to make it so everyone wants to come out to Catalina Island for the Catalina Island wine mixer. Event. Great, great. Yeah, Maybe we could get some uh, LinkedIn products with them or some shit. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. For yeah, sure. Great. For sure. All right. Cross-branding. I love it. I love it. Yeah. How much you need for this movie? I mean, this sounds like 40. Oh, 100, 100 million. Probably. God <laughs> damn it. <laughs> How much cocaine are you buying with that 100 million? Uh, you know, I'm not too big into cocaine, but I do like junk bonds. And okay. So. <laughs> Great. All right. Just so how about how about I give you 65? You take the other 35, and we chop it up when it comes back. How about that? All right. All right. I, we all right, can do that. Yeah, yeah. Great. That's, okay. That's great. Great. All right. Sounds like we got a movie here. Great. Yeah. Fantastic. All right. So, Paul, you you've <laughs> obviously seen this movie before. We talked about this yeah. last week. So. Give me your gut reaction. I told you mine over the course of the opening statement and that it's two out of ten for me. But how how would you rate this? I know it's a dumb movie along the same lines as Anchorman. But there's a lot of moments that uh, just make me laugh really hard. So (laughs) I I like it. I enjoy it. And I think some of my favorite parts are with like Richard Jenkins and... uh, Mary, Mary Bergen and uh, all of the supporting characters, sure. you know, more of them reacting to the buffoonery that's going on, right. less so about what Will Ferrell and uh, <laughs> John, John Riley are doing. Uh, yeah, right. but I enjoy it. I give it a 6.9 6. out of 10. Yeah. <laughs> 69. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you, Paul. All right. So, dude. The opening quote of this movie is legendary from George W. Bush, our former <laughs> idiot president. <laughs> Fucking amazes me that we voted that guy in office twice. But besides the fact, some other great quotes I want to share with this quote by other presidents, okay? Uh, this is going to be your civics lesson for the week, okay? Oh, okay. <laughs> so, cool, cool. The first quote I want to share is from FDR. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself, right? Very famous quote. I'm going to move on to another one that says, ask not what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country. That's, of course, from JFK. But I want to talk about the third one specifically, which is Hurricane Florence is tremendously big and tremendously (laughs) wet. One of the wettest we've ever seen from the standpoint of water. That is from Donald Trump, the 45th president of the United States. Anyway, is that where he drew the little sharpie thing where he's going to smash into Alabama? That was part of it, but that was shortly after he was photographed throwing rolls of paper towels like basketballs into a crowd of people (laughs) in Puerto Rico that really needed help because their power had been off for six weeks. He decided that the best way to do this Uh was to throw paper towels like they were t-shirts at a baseball game into the fucking crowd. Anyway. Side politics aside, <laughs> microwave nachos. I want to talk about microwave nachos. Oh, They're yeah. disgusting. Okay, is is oh, that no, the no, point no. of this? All right, the way Will Ferrell makes them in the beginning of the movie, it is gross because he just <laughs> takes a pile of chips and adds a pile of cheese to them, right? But 
If you do it right, you lay down one single layer of chips and sprinkle cheese on, not too much. And you do another layer of chips and, you know, cheese. And then if you're really into it, if you really feel bad about yourself <laughs> that day, then you do a third layer, right? Right. And then you put that in the microwave, microwave it up. You got to be careful not to overdo it, right? Right. Because you then get it gets burnt, that like weird, crispy, burnt yeah, cheese. Yeah, yeah. But then you just eat those with salsa. <laughs> Fucking delicious. I mean. <laughs> yeah, that's that's some serious bachelor food right there. Yeah, yeah. I'll agree with that. It is. <laughs> I've eat, I've actually eaten microwave nachos off of styrofoam plates where the cheese like melted into the plate, and I like <laughs> pulled the cheese out of the melted plastic and ate it anyway. Because <laughs> yeah. I was bored as fuck at one time. Yeah, you can't waste any morsels of cheese, right? Yeah. Dude, at one time, I was living on my own in my first apartment with Matt, and I was making $6 an hour at the fucking museum gift shop or whatever, the cafe I was working at. I was working 20 hours a week. I had internet, cell phone, and rent to pay for, and I somehow, somehow survived (laughs) on $480 a month. Gross. That's what I had. Gross. $480 a month. I was broke as a fucking joke (laughs) when I was that young. But still managed to buy a lot of booze, too. Yeah. I don't know how that happened, actually. Somehow I got liquor all the time. But anyway, also, these guys could be serial killers, Paul, like sitting around and whacking it to yoga videos at this age, like (laughs) single white male. You know what I mean? It's pretty bad. All right. So this is just a blanket statement that I'm going to say, okay? As a male, the older that you get, your sexual tastes become more refined. It takes more to get you riled up than what you did before when you were younger. Like a yoga video wouldn't get me excited, you know what I mean? But like some people, and I'm not king shaming here, some people have to watch like Brazilian fart porn or something like that <laughs> in order to get themselves going. And you know, your tastes change because probably when you would see that when you were like 15, you would be like, what the fucking shit? When all you want to see is like a nipple. Like, a la the opening scene of Kick-Ass where he sees, like, the fucking women in the African Sahara with their tits out and he's, like, jerking off to that. <laughs> so, very different thing. I'm just saying. I wouldn't be jerking off to yoga videos, but then again, I'm not a immature fuckhead like Will Ferrell. <laughs> See, I think it's more of he's having fantasy about the yoga lady specifically. It's not just women in there because it, it looks like he timed it. So his mom leaves and he's ready and rearing to go. It's just part of his daily routine to like jerk off to yoga videos in the morning <laughs> after some nachos or whatever. Ah, uh, God, that sounds <laughs> awful. That sounds like an awful life. Yeah, yeah. So it's a pretty sad state of uh, affairs for these two two men right, in, right. in their forties <laughs> with their parents. So I don't I don't want to shit on John C. Riley, but you're better than this shit, bro. They throw man-child temper tantrums, and while that can be funny to start, after 105 minutes, it's grating as shit. That's all I gotta say, uh, dude. Hack Attack this week is fairly early here, okay? I want to talk about the green screen work in the car driving with Mary Steenburgen and Will Ferrell in the back seat. It looks like utter shit by every comparison of green screen, even to Under Siege 2. This looks awful, like unbelievably bad. (laughs) So, I mean, I'm qualifying that for the hack attack of the week this week. But grown men eating chicken nuggets. Funny for the setup, five minutes later, it wears out its welcome. 
Speaking of food, this lands me to my sandwich beef <laughs> early this week. Oh, all right. There's lots getting of food them all in this movie. So getting that, them all out of the way early, yeah. I want to talk today about chicken breast, okay? I want to talk about what happens when you freeze a pre-cooked chicken breast and hand it to a milk-fed fuckface in Harlem in August of last year, okay? I want to talk about the halal <laughs> cart on the corner of 135th in Amsterdam. I want to talk about the fat white boy inexplicably manning the cart that day. You motherfucking cock-sucking milk-toast fuckbag. I order chicken over rice with all the fixins starving after not eating for 10 fucking hours that day. I skipped lunch to sleep this particular day, by the way. I hustle to the cart and order my meal and walk back to set for my snack. I bite into the breast and damn near break my fucking teeth on the edge of the chicken. But it wasn't just hard and dry, Paul. This shit was so dried out and overcooked that it was split and was slightly transparent when the meat begins to atrophy from overcooking. <laughs> this shit was like a fucking piece of plastic, man. It was unbelievable. How the fuck do you fuck that up? Seriously, how do you fuck that up? <laughs> to the LDS-looking motherfucker who broke my fucking teeth that day, eat a bucket of wet shit, you fucking milk-toast jerk-off. Learn how to cook. <laughs> <laughs> and then go back to your car. Right, right. You're going to have to explain this milk toast thing to me. Oh, okay. So it's it's <laughs> it's spelled M I L Q U E toast. All one word, all milk right, toast. Right. And it's and... it's like some super white guy that looks like he's been breastfed his entire life, okay? <laughs> you know exactly what I'm talking about. I don't even have to explain yeah, it past right. that. That's what a milk toast motherfucker is, okay? <laughs> just just in case you're wondering. Anyway, that was my sandwich beef for this week. Fairly early, fairly short, <laughs> but I will move on. Dude, Brendan has a mangina. Masculinity jokes were popular at one time. Was it this time? I think it's a big problem I have with this movie is their immaturity leads to toxic masculinity and gay panic in this movie. It doesn't age well. And I know that I've talked about this a lot in like really obscene comedies recently about how the gay panic, especially in the gay jokes, like really get to me. But like this movie has a lot of that for sure. And this was only 2008. You know what I mean? So I think uh, part of this movie has a deep commentary on masculinity and the expectations of society in dealing with masculinity. <laughs> and you get the Adam, what's his name? Adam Scott. Adam Scott uh, character, right? He's the primary example of toxic masculinity in this sure. movie. And so they're uh, kind of making fun of that whole thing and how <laughs> douchey it is. And Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I'll give you, I'll give you that because at least he punches Adam <laughs> Scott in the face, and that was that was satisfying. So. But so, dude, yeah, speaking I, speaking of Adam Scott, I think he he has a great introduction in this movie where he set up the, his character and his wife with the uh, family singing in the car. I think that's amazing how they did that because it's a funny scene, but it also like does a great job of setting up the whole relationship between the wife and the husband and 
you know, how much of a douche she is and how she's trapped in this horrendous marriage. marriage. Yeah, like abusive marriage. All the while, you know, his his kids are his trophies, you know, and it's a, it's a great little scene. It's how you introduce a character right there. Huh? Yeah, except it lasts too long, but, you know, I mean, I'll <laughs> fucking get to that in a second. But let's jump to the bedroom scene real quick, right? The concept is fun, grown men acting like 10-year-olds, but the scene goes on for far too long, trying to tell multiple jokes rather than enjoy the humor <laughs> from the absurd nature of the concept. And that is my biggest problem with this movie is that it's one joke stretched out for 105 minutes. <laughs> like... The- and it just it gets boring to me, and a lot of it is like the same joke retold multiple times, and that really fucking bothers so, me. So, which which bedroom scene are we talking about here? At like, the very beginning, when they move in together, okay. and yeah. So, I mean, the they concept is fun, but again, each other. yeah. Again, after five minutes or seven minutes of this, which is how long <laughs> that scene is, I'm like, I get it. I got the joke. Let's move on. You know, like there's if there's more funny shit to be had. Let's get to that. Otherwise, you're fucking dragging this movie down. Yeah, that's funny because they had their rough cut was like five hours long. Oh, my God. Like that. <laughs> how, do, how do you even get? Oh, my then they God. Had to tighten it up. And so then they still have these scenes that you hate for being Drag on long. for so long. Yeah, that's crazy. I didn't hear about the five hour long or the super long like rough yeah, cut. No, that they sounds... just, uh, I mean, I don't think they had any kind of script. Yeah. So they're just filming whatever. Riffing, yeah. <laughs> and, and they're like, well, yeah, it's kind of funny, but I guess we need to edit this into some kind of story. <laughs> sort of. Found, I mean, they found it in the edit. Yeah. But uh, what's the name of this director again? Adam McKay. Adam McKay, right. So all of his Will Ferrell movies seem to have this thing where he disregards or satirizes kind of common you know story plot points right like talladega or anchorman yeah yeah anchorman you know there's like they live in their own universe where the normal rules don't matter and every scene is kind of constructed to make fun of what a typical story is supposed to be sure like all plot points are there but they're just ludicrous they're you know (laughs) it's absurdist comedy that's what it is like the end of this movie the climax this emotional climax (laughs) it's will ferrell and uh john c Riley just singing this dumbass song (laughs) and everyone's having these emotional epiphanies and you know that shit wouldn't happen in real life and it's just uh it's absurd right but that's the joke see yeah but it lasts for five minutes (laughs) that's my point stop with the fucking long drawn out reaction because like the beginning of the joke in that sense like started happening within 10 seconds of him singing they started cutting into everybody's like epiphany moments and stuff like that but the song plays out for the entirety of the aria and i'm like i already got the joke 10 seconds into the fucking joke like i don't need it to keep dragging it out in order for you to get this i swear every character has their own little punchline right i get it but i swear if you cut this movie down where you got rid of all the extraneous overly long jokes that this movie would be like 60 minutes long i guarantee you that that would be the way it is so let's talk about the yelling about the drum set okay 
teabagging it and beating the shit out of each other is funny and all, but making gay jokes and rape jokes in, you know, this day and age, I guess, was okay. But now it just seems like kind of a bit in bad taste. That's all I'm going to (laughs) say. So does Will Ferrell have kids? I've never worked with him, but I mean, even though I worked on that movie Drunk Parents that he was in, I've never worked with him. I've never worked with him, but I, I hope for the sake of posterity and the future of humanity that he does not have children. <laughs> he has been hit in the nutsack enough that he is sterile and cannot breathe. <laughs> but dude, the the sleepwalking scene is funny and all, but I am I asking too much that they don't act like toddlers for five fucking minutes? Like plenty of other shit could have happened without toddler activities, but that scene it just no, goes no, on for that's, way too uh, long. That's what they need. It's that's the movie. They're they're just man children, sure. and uh, that's what they need to do. Dude, for real, when I was watching this movie, I forgot that Adam Scott and Catherine Hahn were in this movie. I love both of them respectively, but especially Catherine. Adam Scott, like I said, I had yeah. falling out with him because of the two bad movies that he did. <laughs> but once again. Awful green screen in the car, like that car scene that you're talking about, like awful green screen, especially the god awful, fully soft lighting on the inside of the car. I'm like, (laughs) that is not how the inside of a car looks. Also, the singing scene lasts for way too long, like I was saying. And the punchline, other than the Adam Scott being a dick, is him almost steering into traffic. They could have gotten to that a lot earlier, you know what I mean? They didn't need to drag out this whole fucking thing and then have that as the punchline at the end. I get it. I already got over it. <laughs> it didn't really need the swerve, really. I mean, uh, no, I mean, it never, it never comes back to it, and it's not important to what a douchebag that he is. You know what I mean? It's just a thing that's there. But the dinner scene where Adam Scott talks to his new stepdad, the scene wears out. It's welcome pretty early, but it just keeps going and going and going on his fucking story again. This is the fucking problem with this movie. But Adam Scott enters into the treehouse in a second with the phrase, What's up, fat? Early 2000s movies don't age well with the gay jokes. Like, stop with this kind of shit, man. I'm glad that this has kind of gone the way of the dodo in that. But, like, saying that phrase as, like, a punchline and everybody used to laugh at that kind of shit is pretty fucking awful. I don't know if everyone laughed at that. It's more of uh, just nailing home the point that he's a douchebag and... uh... He should be punched in the face, which he does. <laughs> I'll give this movie that. I will give this movie the scene yeah. where Adam Scott gets punched in the face. It's a good moment. But yeah. it's ruined by Adam Scott saying the word retard five seconds later. Like, just, again, early 2000s movies. I mean, this is still mid-2000s besides the fact. But, dude, Catherine Hahn plays repressed sexuality so well. She is funny, <laughs> but once they get all riled up and Dale in her vagina moment, the scene once again wears out its welcome. They could have cut after she says she is going to masturbate to the image of him hitting her husband in the face, <laughs> and the funny moment would have still been intact. I rarely say this kind of shit in advance, but like for this week, I'm going to edit this moment down so that you can see how much better it works when it's cut. Because this scene lasts for way too long, and I know exactly what point they could have cut out of it, and it still would have been funny. And I'm going to send it, and I'm going to put it on Instagram (laughs) so that way you can see it. Because you'll see what I'm saying. It's very, very simple. 
but this well, movie's self-indulgent see, because of that. <laughs> it is self-indulgent, but then you get that uh, comedy moment where she's like macking on his face and he just has his mouth kind of open. Right, right. Like slobbering on her while just, she's just trying wait. to actually kiss him. <laughs> just wait for when I I'm cut it. You're going to see it. Just wait until I cut it. You're going to see what I do with it because I know exactly how it's going to go together and what moments are actually really funny where other parts are only sort of funny and they could have been dropped out. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, the night vision goggles are set up for the joke that when the lights go on that it's burning Dale's eyes. But I'm sorry for being a killjoy here, but night vision goggles have a safety shut off if a huge spike of light hits it to avoid burning people's retinas. Like, that's the fucking point. Yet somehow in this movie, these goggles don't have that. Like, okay, so Science <laughs> of the Lambs, when Science of the Lambs happens and the light turns on and he's blinded, that was... A 1970s pair of night vision goggles that don't have the same sort of technology, like when they were just sort of working on it during the late Vietnam period. So it's an important distinction. But is their childishness and mental deficiencies supposed to make them endearing? It's a real question. Like, does this work for people? Because it doesn't work for me. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's so one note. And like I said, this this movie's (laughs) biggest problem is that it's a single joke that is stretched out for way too long over the course of this movie See, to me it's a commentary on what parents of developmentally disabled children have to deal with their whole lives like i feel like watching this movie i feel uh richard jenkins and uh mary right. steenbergen i feel i see them aging like at an accelerated rate just every interaction with their children i'm like oh man that must be what it's like just dealing with a kid like that every day right. you know yeah so there you go. It's, a, it's got a deeper meaning to the whole, sure. whole thing. Sure it does. I think you're reaching, Paul. But <laughs> Seth Rogen is in an early role in this movie, right? This is before he was like really starting to take off, before he did super bad. But isn't he bigger than both of these two guys now? You know what I'm saying? Like It's kind of yeah. wild to see this. But at the same time, like the really long fart at the end of that scene, I didn't laugh. Like, maybe I'm just a fucking asshole and I don't like laugh at this kind of shit. Like, it's funny. It's the funny. Contact, I'll laugh man. about That's it. That's what it is. It's all about the eye contact. <laughs> like you look someone straight dead in the eyes and just like let out the longest, stankiest fart. You don't break eye contact. I mean, that's funny. <laughs> right. All right. I'll take it. Try it. Try it with someone you know. And tell me that, or so what you mean. <laughs> it's not funny. <laughs> that is not funny. <laughs> All right. So uh, I'll recant on that point for a moment. But a bunch of middle schoolers jump them and they relentlessly hurl homophobic slurs. Their pathetic nature is really what makes this movie unfunny for me. Like, they're just pathetic. And I'm tired of it very early on. <laughs> Plus, they throw in the white dog shit joke and it's just gross out humor at this point. Like, did that white dog shit joke moment do anything for you? I was just wondering what what made it white dog shit. And yeah, that's extra gross. It's white. Dude, dog <laughs> shit that sits around for too long turns white. You haven't seen that? No, I haven't. Mm. <laughs> it happened all Is the time back in the Mexico. sun. <laughs> it's sort of like bleaching in the sun or something. I don't know. It just dries out to the point so that it starts turning white. It's not as bad as fresh dog shit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know i gotta say that i really love uh richard jenkins in this movie i do too like I his too. explosive anger is is great yeah it is when dale is like she's had the bull 
now she wants the young calf. And he's just like, shut the fuck up. (laughs) (laughs) It's great. Or after their big fight. I, I want to save. I want to save that moment. I want to save that okay. moment because because I really love that moment, and I I want to try to like reenact what I saw from Richard okay. Jenkins because it's right. fucking great. Anyway, so dude, Will Ferrell singing is pretty terrible, and them talking about it in terms of odd superlatives like the yeah. whole unicorn thing is really fucking weird to me. Like this is what That's I'm saying about this joke. movie being self-absorbed. You know, like I mean, okay, so maybe this is just me being down on this movie, but I didn't think it was funny. So it may have just been funny in the moment to Will Ferrell and John C. Riley and Adam McKay. But, like, it doesn't feel funny to me. It's just, it's, like... It's more cerebral because you're, like, listening to him sing and it's the movie, everything about the movie, the reactions, the swelling of the music or whatever. It's implying that he's got this great voice, but then you're hearing it and you're like, God damn, dude, that's awful. What the <laughs> fuck? You should never be singing. But everyone reacts like he's some angel from heaven whatever but that's the joke <laughs> i want to bring up tenacious d the pick of destiny at this point okay yeah. like jack black can actually sing like he's right. really fucking yeah. good and yeah. that movie is funny as shit because he is a great singer and he's singing about this horrendous shit about <laughs> abortions or whatever and it's good but like this it's just like this childish humor and he's awful at it and it's just like they're just playing at the worst base instincts of the audience <laughs> at this point. Yeah. I don't understand. <laughs> I don't understand. Certainly not every joke lands and not every joke is like a laugh out loud moment. But I think there's a lot of undercurrent humor going on that you're like, yes, that's amusing to me. I don't know. <laughs> it's not so right. funny. I mean, here's the thing. Out loud. With, that's, with... It's kind of the whole style that he has throughout all of his movies with Anchorman and Talladega Nights. You know, it's it's absurd. And if that makes you laugh, great. And if not, then hopefully it's <laughs> at least amusing. Right? <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. Fine. I'm not going to dig into this in that sense anymore because, like, I don't find it funny. Like, I already made that clear. I don't find it funny. I fucking hated tell, or I fucking hated Anchorman. I walked <laughs> out of it in the first 10 minutes because I was sick of it. Oh, wow. 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 One of the few movies I've actually walked out of. <laughs> but, dude, but Adam Scott shows up with some potential buyers of his dad, his new stepdad's house. And lo and behold, they do a Nazi joke and a KKK joke. And it's like, okay, all right, you know what? At, at a certain point, I got to draw the line here. Like, it's it's a funny idea when you think about it, but, like, when you see it, it's not that funny in the actual scene. Like, it's just sort of there, and it's like, oh, wow, they're being dicks again. But I've already seen right. them being dicks and for yet... the last 35 minutes of this movie. <laughs> but then there's the irony of them actually finding these costumes and dressing up and setting up, which probably took hours of work when they've never done that much work in the past 20 years of their lives. Right. So that's that's uh, just, just to maintain their own, their status quo of being lazy little bitches (laughs) that go through all this trouble and, and to, you know, shaft the the brother character. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. (laughs) So the sex scene with John C. Riley in the bathroom is pretty wild and funny, but mostly because of Catherine Hahn. So there is yep. one good thing in this movie in this sea of bullshit. You know, like she goes over and she like lifts her leg and pees like a dog <laughs> in the fucking urinal, which is pretty good. 
But anyway, of course, all of Adam C. Scott's friends are douchey frat boys. And I get it that that's the joke, but it's like, it's again, dude, it's fucking overplayed and it's fucking awful, you know? But enter the rap video. It's like the filmmakers tried their hardest to make the most annoying movie that they could. And if the music video is edited enough to be semi-professional and that they had like titles and there's editing and whatnot. Why the fuck did they just leave in the crash at the end? Wouldn't it have been funnier? I'm asking a real question here. Wouldn't it have been funnier for them to just end it right in the middle of the song and then having Richard Jenkins and everybody else being like, what the fuck was that? And then showing up and seeing his boat is like shittily taped back together on the dock. Wouldn't that have been funnier? It would have been sight gag at that point. Yeah, yeah, but like the funny. smashing at the end of it, I was just like, <laughs> yeah, all right, whatever. But uh, Richard Jenkins' reaction to the boat crashing is pretty great. But imagine his, <laughs> imagine his like reaction in that other sense, like them yeah. being juvenile children that don't know how to fix or build anything, like duct taping back together his boat <laughs> and him having to discover it like that. He could have had like a Tom Hanks style like meltdown scene where he's like screaming at everybody and getting upset at something. That I think would have been funny. But yeah, yeah. But uh, they. They spent that part of the budget on uh, on prosthetic balls, so <laughs> they didn't have money to rig up a fake boat that right. was trashed and all that. All right, so, so I, I want to get to Richard Jenkins telling them that they're pieces of shit and raging on them because it's hilarious, okay? But like, it's because <laughs> Richard Jenkins is so great, his performance on the line, like, you're failures! You're failures. <laughs> it's so fucking legendary, dude. It's good. Yeah. It's good yeah, shit. Uh, but then lines. you will fix the fucking drywall right now. <laughs> <laughs> but them like doing the spanking of them, I think, is the only part that I la- laughed out loud in this movie. Besides Richard yeah. Jenkins like smacking the living shit out of him. But you know, it is what it is. But real question: If yeah. you wake up, Paul, as a sleepwalker. Do they really have a chance of waking up violently like this? I know that this is like an urban I legend or something like know. that. I Yeah, I should have looked that up, I guess. I don't know anything about sleepwalking or... Because if this is the way that it is, I think it would be hilarious to like wake sleepwalking <laughs> people up and record their reaction. But yeah. the recurring joke of the attack-seeking eye dog is so fucking random that it's like they weren't sure of where to pepper it. It's just like in there in case they <laughs> forgot to add something that the ADD audience was yeah. getting bored with the movie. It's, it's, a, it's a heightener, you know, just uh, <laughs> it's a little little spice on top of the scene already. You know, right. you the stepbrothers fighting in the in the the, the the lawn and everything like that. And you get the dog <laughs> attacking them just because. And then he, John C. Riley, runs around the house and gets an extra little bite from the dog as he's going <laughs> to have sex with the stepbrother's wife. That's good. Wait, he got bit by... Oh, wait, yeah, when he was running outside. That's right, the fucking dog outside. Yeah, yeah. Chasing no, they down. throw the dog in there every once in a while. Oh. Yeah, but especially given that the scene where Catherine Hahn and Dale burst through the doors of the kitchen while fucking in front of the entire family, like, was the joke that Adam Scott is such an absent husband that he doesn't see another man's dick in his wife? Is that the joke? Yeah, he's just so full of himself that it uh, can't even register that his uh, wife might be sleeping with another man. (laughs) Okay, fine, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) 
But Will Ferrell and John C. Riley crying at the announcement of their parents divorcing is pretty fucking cringeworthy, dude, because of how over the top these two guys are. Again, I'm not laughing. I'm just cringing at their child miming performances. Plus, it's just, again, it's too long, man. It's too fucking long. It just, yeah. And it's kind of sad to think about children that have to actually deal with that. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Maybe that if you take that concept, then that's where it's actually funny. It's about suffering yeah, children. Yeah, if you're like if you're like a child of divorce and like you had to go through something like this, <laughs> then maybe it's funny. Is that what you're saying? No, it's only funny when it happened to someone else. Yeah, not to you. you understand? Yeah. Oh no, no, that's not funny. Sure. When it happened All right, to you. Fine. Why do parents always choose to drop that shit at like Thanksgiving, <laughs> Christmas, or whatever? Because <laughs> they can't take it anymore. You know, no, like they're so. sick. It's the fucking culmination of a bunch of people from their family showing up that they're just like you know what i can't do this shit anymore like it's fucking exhausting <laughs> fuck everybody i hate all of you <laughs> fuck this i'm going to cheesecake factory i mean <laughs> what i mean what a better way what a better way to like drop the mic though so to speak on your family you're just like you know you have everybody there you may as well just unload yeah, and be like yeah, you know what so. fuck all of you you're all pieces of shit <laughs> i never loved your mother go fuck yourself <laughs> Maybe the key to this movie is that I'm just supposed to be super high in order to enjoy this movie. Like, I was dead sober watching this, and maybe it's funnier when you're high. Because I feel like that's the real thing with, like, Grandma's Boy, for instance. Like, Grandma's Boy, if you watch it when you're sober, it's not as funny as when you watch it when you're high or when you're drunk. (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, uh, I think most movies are better when you're high or drunk. (laughs) that. Except maybe Schindler's List. Maybe yeah, not we're not. No, we're, <laughs> we cut that out. I can't. I can't. <laughs> anyway, dude, the more that I watch this movie, the more I'm convinced that this is why other countries hate us. That we make the stupidest shit and pay tons of money to see it, but children's cancer research is still underfunded in this country. <laughs> yeah no uh, it is kind of an american movie all the way going back to like a similar conversation that we had before but like picking a very american movie that like you know shows the worst in american filmmaking i could pick a movie sort of like this too because it definitely like resorts to the lowest common denominator like constantly in this movie and while i will say that like movies like six underground with michael bay like that is definitely something that i fucking hate because it's like stupid as shit there's some sort of like entertaining value to seeing shit flying through the frame but movies like this it's just like gross out comedy gay jokes sex jokes dick jokes testicle jokes shit jokes you know it's like it's all these things that i know other countries must be looking at us and being like you stupid fucking americans like this is what passes is funny in your country these days or they laugh even harder because a good dick joke in armenia is like hard to come by the prime time of comedy <laughs> right there you know okay fine yeah but dude, they they try to kill each other, and then they decide that this is the end of their bullshit when they're on the lawn, and they decide to finally get a job, right? And while they were such idiots that couldn't have figured out the most basic shit, they suddenly know how to be adults. Like this is one thing about the character development that like one of the critics was talking about is that all of a sudden they just like learn everything. 
I'm like, they couldn't yeah. fucking figure out the most basic <laughs> shit, but all of a sudden they like learn things, no problem. See, I think that's its own joke right there. Again, it's making fun of the character development montage where you see the character in like all these romantic comedy movies where they have to go through this self-discovery period and learning and growing as people. And the whole learning and growing experience in this movie is Will Ferrell wiping his ass with a toilet rug and then going to Costco <laughs> and buying a giant thing of toilet paper. I mean, that's, that's growing up to him. We know is, it's more than that, right? But is is that how joke. you grew up? I've never wiped my ass on a carpet. I don't think in my life. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've definitely wiped my ass with like a towel when I ran out of fucking toilet paper and I had to throw it away. <laughs> At that point, just take a shower. You don't need to soil a towel that you're going to be putting your face on later on. You know? No, dude, that's why I throw like, the towel you out. Oh, you threw the towel out. Yes, that's what I just said. I threw the towel out. You forgot to, like, put it in the laundry hamper, and then you're just drying your face off. (laughs) Oh, God. Got a shit streak. (laughs) (laughs) We did this towel when I was a kid that had a brown stain down the middle of it, and I swear to God that it was a shit stain, and I would never touch that towel, and my mom never understood why, and I was just like, are you fucking serious? Like, look at it. I'm not going to touch that. No matter how often it was washed, years, I never touched that towel. Because I was just like, I don't know what happened there, but I don't want to know what happened there. I don't want to fucking touch it. One of the reviews that I didn't get to that I really liked was from Ty Burr from the Boston Globe. And it, it it's just going back to the whole thing about like fucking Will Ferrell and John C. Riley and how yeah. ludicrous this fucking thing is. But his review said, this movie has one joke that it beats into the ground. 40-year-old men acting like petulant nine-year-olds. Luckily, Farrell and Riley were born with no sense of shame or personal dignity, and they give good tantrum. <laughs> and I, I thought that was pretty fair. I was like, there is no sense of shame from these human beings, which is kind of crazy. But, you know, I, I got to go back to the moment that you were talking about him wiping his ass with the rug and washing his ass in the sink. Like that, while you thought it was funny in some way, I was just like, this is what we all needed to see, really. Like, this is what we needed to see at this moment. But this movie does have a prophetic line in it, right? It's slow down, speed racer, foreshadowing the other awful movie that we had to endure this year on this podcast, speed racer. Will asks for the Catalina wine mixer job, right? And the annoying Rob Riggles character yelling, pop, pop, and talking about eating a man's dick gay panic comedy again is super fucking annoying like he just i don't know what it is about rob riggle's character dude but he is so fucking irritating in almost every movie that he's in that i don't know how he has a career to be honest with you yeah i don't know i don't know i do like him in the goods where he plays the the young the developmentally challenged son who uh what's her name starts hitting on throughout the whole Catherine Hahn yeah 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 that's good that's a good combo right there yeah yeah I actually I actually kind of like that even though there's like a lot of fucked up jokes in that it's pretty funny that whole movie is fucked up but uh yeah no he's he's annoying I was reading that a lot of people think that's like a classic scene where they're just like, ha ha, dick eating joke. 
And, yeah. Uh, yeah. It didn't, didn't land with me, but uh, everyone's <laughs> got their own sense of humor. I, I guess. Yeah. Will Farrell and John C. Riley meet again at the Catalina wine mixer. And this dude who is Dale's manager says, Hey Dale, the empanadas are sweating. Like there is no tilde sound in that word. It's pronounced empanadas. There is no tilde there. And the fact that he said the tilde just oh. like pulled me out. I was like, what the <laughs> fuck? Who has ever said that in their life? Empanadas. Who the fuck says that? This guy probably grew up in Minnesota. But he knows how to do a tilde. You ever heard like a white person like overpronounce, you know, Spanish words? I mean, white add white a little people... extra arroyo. Yeah. You know, <laughs> they add the extra to white know, people trying to roll their R's is definitely something that's like hard to listen to when I hear it. I'm like, oh, my <laughs> God, <laughs> if you don't know how to roll your R's, like, don't try to roll your R's because it sounds even worse when you try and you don't know how to actually do it. But that's a whole nother thing. <laughs> but, dude, Richard Jenkins tells them to embrace their dreams for some fucking reason, because the Catalina wine mixer people had to deal with not having music like white privilege much like seriously what the fuck <laughs> like this is just call to action yeah no the whole setup for them getting on the stage is absurd again like it makes no sense it's meaningless it's absurd and i guess that's the point whether you think that's funny or is that high comedy probably not in a lot <laughs> of ways but that's right. just how it is. I mean, it's hard to, you know, come up with logical fallacies for this movie when the whole movie <laughs> is one big absurd pile of white dog shit. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but, <laughs> so, dude, seriously, though, I got a real question about this movie. Mm-hmm. Why are there no black people in this movie? Not one single black person. Oh no, there's the uh the two black people that they were showing the house to and the dudes came out in Yeah, their Orlando movie. Jones randomly showing up in this movie for some reason. Yeah, yeah. There you go. He's the one black guy. And they have to make a, a joke about Nazis in the KKK. Right, right, obviously. It's just fucking weird, man. It almost seems like it's on purpose at a certain point. You know, it's like, okay, there are literally no black people in this movie. Like, what the fuck's going on? Well, I mean, you got the characters. They're white. Oh, wait, there's a black guy right there. Okay. Yeah. See? (laughs) Did a high five. (laughs) Yep. You got got one, two, three. Two black guys? Uh, Sure. Black woman, too. But dude, they they go up on stage and they start singing an opera and somehow unite everyone with this shit awful rendition of boats and hose peppered throughout. Like, how did this song somehow unite everyone? It's just, it's this absurd (laughs) moment that just happens. And I don't know what it's supposed to be calling back to. Is it supposed to call back to John C. Riley telling him that he has the voice of an angel? And that's why everybody's having their epiphanies? I guess so, yeah. It's got an amazing voice. It's kind of like the end of Anchorman where three news stations have this showdown where they just start murdering each other (laughs) without any real consequence, except that everyone's dying, but that they needed the the climax for the movie. So (laughs) Adam Scott tries to hug Will Ferrell after saying, you'd like a hug, wouldn't you? And like, then they, then they very, very awkwardly hug. 
this leads me to yeah. say an outright truth, okay? I'm going to get serious for a moment, Paul. I'm not trying to bring down the podcast or something like that. But everyone, raise your boys to embrace their emotions, to show their love even to other men in their lives. Otherwise, toxic masculinity rears its ugly head like this. Like, it's an actual lesson yeah. here. It's not just some joke. Like, it's fucking real. <laughs> Fucking teach your kids how to embrace their emotions, the fucking children that are boys especially. Anyway, sorry for that moment of truth, but <laughs> their their Christmas surprise is their dad made a boat treehouse for them. Like, what, uh, what the fuck? Like, even <laughs> more immaturity and stupidity to finish out this movie? Like, oh, great. Yeah. Just what we needed. More fucking Star Wars jokes, more whatever. I mean, you're expecting them to have to grow up and, you know, be little worker bee people in the in the system, but instead their parents decide that they want to keep enabling them. Right. And uh, their parents have serious serious emotional issues on their own. They can't. Right. I mean, that's also what the, the the therapist says at the end. You know, like that this that they're enablers and that they're pieces of shit because of that. <laughs> <laughs> so instead of emotional growth and character growth we're basically back at the beginning except <laughs> the brothers don't hate each other i just want to say like seriously man like fuck this movie fuck will ferrell he's an annoying fuck i'm tired of him i'm tired of his fucking movies like i said he's 53 <laughs> years old for christ's sake and he's still doing this stupid shit like come on yep yep i bet you're gonna hate uh eurovision as well because it's a bit more will ferrell comedy more stupidity except he uh drags your second wife in there too <laughs> does he mac on her that's all i gotta know no they're supposed to be brother and sister i think or are they oh, wait thank god no wait no i don't remember <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> that's the main thing with will ferrell dude is that i just don't remember half of his movies because i just don't give a shit you know what i mean i just don't care i will say that i like eastbound and down though for the first couple of seasons i do like that show it's funny and it's entertaining but you know overall fuck will ferrell he's annoying as shit yeah, yeah. and he needs to grow the fuck up <laughs> why would he want to grow up when he keeps making uh money like this i mean because when he turns 60 <laughs> he's gonna keep doing this He's 53, for Christ's sake, dude. Like, at some point, he's got to do a Jim Carrey and try to pretend like he's an actor, you know what I mean? Rather than just a fucking frat boy SNL alum that got lucky, you know what I mean? I don't think he'll ever have to pretend anything. He'll just uh, keep doing his thing. Can you imagine him being 70 and doing this, dude? <laughs> I can. Yeah, I can imagine it. It'll keep going. Do you think that there's a certain point in his career that he's just going to start being sad at some point where it's just like, God damn it, man. Like, just please do anything else. I don't care what it is. But <laughs> Probably every time until he gets his paycheck. Then he's like, oh, yeah, this is why. No, 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 not not him. I'm saying that, like, the audience is going to start reacting to him. Uh, well, I mean, he, he's slowed down in, uh, you know, the number of movies that he's made over the years. It's not. <laughs> pumping him out like it was in the 2000s so yeah it's slowed down a little bit you know is he an alcoholic by the way because he's getting kind of puffy in the face you know i don't know saying? i don't know at the end of the movie they take the helicopter to go beat up the middle schoolers that terrorized them earlier in the movie and the first thing 
the little bully says is a homophobic slur. What's up, butt buddy? I hate this gay panic shit. Like, that's what they go out on is homophobic jokes. But then they beat the shit out of all these little homophobic little bastards. So <laughs> It makes them lick the it, shit. It makes everyone happy and everyone's better now. I feel like they could have gone, like, way over the top, though, at that moment. If they're going to be, like, satirical or surrealist, like, start breaking arms and, like, fucking, <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> like, tearing kids' arms off. It's always sunny in Philadelphia style. We're like, oh, shit, I think we killed that kid. <laughs> <laughs> mac and charlie go beat the shit out of the the neighborhood bully kids yeah right i do like the moment in uh it's always sunny in philadelphia when they attack santa claus and <laughs> he rips santa's throat out with his teeth i just watched that the other night actually oh, it's so good i have to watch that every fucking christmas yeah. dude, because it's so good <laughs> So good. If you're not watching It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, you were fucking up, man. Like, that's all I gotta say. It's kind of difficult in the sense that they're such assholes to each other all the time that you really need to get used to that. Such horrendous people. Yeah. (laughs) I I had to get used to that. I really Horrible, horrible things. But they're never rewarded for their uh, their bad behavior, you know, so at least there's that. (laughs) I like the opening of that one episode where Frank walks in and they have the dumpster baby and he's like, what the hell is that? And he's like, it's a baby. We found it in the dumpster. And he looks at it and he's like, well, put it back. It's not yours. (laughs) (laughs) Like, no sense of humanity or compassion (laughs) whatsoever. (laughs) Anyway, so Paul, do you have anything else you want to say about this movie in order to try to defend this? I know that you said that you like this movie. (laughs) Well, the Catalina wine mixer was not a thing before this movie but now it is it's an annual really? event it draws quite a crowd it's a, no it's way. actually i think it's a, a three-day weekend event now in catalina island because of this movie <laughs> because of this movie yeah there's this guy who became part of the catalina island business association and he's like oh when's the catalina wine mixer and they're like what's that and he's like well god damn we're gonna have one now uh, from now on <laughs> Uh, i did not know that paul Thank this, you for, this movie uh, is unfortunate because that whole scene was actually filmed on the trump national golf course <laughs> so it actually funded his, his little business empire there which is <laughs> it's unfortunate but yeah but i didn't pay for this movie so it's fine <laughs> <laughs> so anyway guys thank you once again that was the 2008 movie horror show of a fucking film called Step Brothers with Will Ferrell and John C. Riley. This movie I think is an unequivocal pile of shit. I fucking hate this movie. It's up there with movies like Your Highness with Natalie Portman and other movies like that as being just unfunny. Uh, I, I think it's gold. I think it's gold. <laughs> I mean, it's stupid immature humor amped up to an 11 and <laughs> There's good stuff going on in there. There's a lot of great lines, memorable lines. Uh, Yeah, you can. I have to say, though, dude, I am creeped out by the scene where he tries to bury his brother in the backyard. (laughs) Like, there's something about it that it just comes off as creepy, and I don't know if the way it's shot, or maybe it's because I saw John C. Riley in that fucking adult swim show where he plays the doctor. I can't remember what the fuck it's called. (laughs) Or his like adult swim special that he did called Rubberhead. It just really fucking bothers me to watch it. 
and I don't know what it is about it that bothers me, but you know, Roger Ebert in his review, he also said like, when did comedies become so cruel? Like this entire movie is based on like cruelty towards each other. And at a certain point, it's like not funny, at least in Ebert's opinion as well. Because it's just all based yeah. on cruelty towards each other rather than any sort of organic comedy that's within the situation. Yeah, no, that's American humor for you. G.W. <laughs> Bush humor, for sure. Cruelty, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Paul, actually, we didn't we didn't talk about next week. Next week, I want to go back to what you were saying and try to go for, like, a shitty horror movie for the week after that, maybe. Because, yeah. like, by the time that episode comes out, we're going to be in, like, mid-January, which is when, like, late-term horror movies come out in order to try to fill in the doldrums. Yeah. So that would be, like, a perfect segue into that time period is to do, like, a fucking horror movie. But I don't know I'm if you've seen anything that. awful lately that you want to shit on. No, no. I mean, uh told you about uh, that uh, movie that Tom Savini did the makeup on. The Prowler. Oh, the That's Prowler. That's a pretty awful yeah. movie. But uh, <laughs> now I feel like we should focus on uh, a sequel to a large franchise type horror movie or something Texas like that. Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3 with <laughs> Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> Do that. Or um, Friday the 13th Part 6. That one was supposed dream to be. Child? It's got the dude from uh, Back to the Future who plays Marty Flies young yeah, dad crispin, crispin glover yeah yeah whichever one he's in he's in one of those friday the 13th ones it's supposed to be a, a good bad movie in some fashion <laughs> my brother was actually asking me the other day about if i was ever going to go toward the leprechaun movies <laughs> i was like i don't know yeah, man like pretty bad leprechaun in the hood is really fucking bad but <laughs> That was one that I just don't uh, don't ever want to watch again, to be honest with you. Wait, Crispin Glover in Friday the 13th, The Final Chapter, 1984. Oh, God. It's only a 6.0 on IMDb, though, but it has a 33 on Metacritic. I think the original Friday the 13th has a worse... Yeah, the original Friday the 13th has a 6.5 on IMDb, but it has a 22 on Metacritic, which is pretty fucking terrible. I don't know how that turned into a franchise. Yeah, I don't know. I man. mean, the original is not that great. Awful, it's man. Interesting. <laughs> it's only when Jason starts coming back and he's like indestructible all of a sudden that it becomes a little more entertaining. But it's still at that point, it's camp shit. Dude. I like Freddy versus Jason. Okay, like that movie. That movie is like so over the top and fucking awful that it's just like there's something about it that's fun, and I don't know if it's just like the camp that they keep throwing at it constantly and they yeah. make fun of it. But I like it. I I don't know what it is about Freddy versus Jason, but like I fucking hate Friday the Thirteenth. But I like the first Nightmare on Elm Street. But past the first Nightmare. It's just kind of like, eh, you know, like it's yeah. it's whatever. I just don't give a shit at a certain point. Mm. Yeah, that or we could pick a more modern kind of Annabelle type horror movie. Or something I mean, like Anna that. Annabelle's bad. I didn't like Annabelle, and I didn't like The Nun. The Nun was like just very lukewarm, like middling, but. It's like the nun as like much as it relies on genre cliche and tropes, it's like it's well made enough that you can kind of excuse a lot of shit. And yeah. it's not so bad that you're just like, What the fucking shit am I watching? You know? <laughs> <laughs>
But I think I think it's Friday the thirteenth, the final chapter with Crispin Glovin when Freddy is like in the wall and he's like that giant head that's like sticking out of the wall. I don't know if you've ever seen that makeup effect, but it's like one of the biggest ones that Tom Savini ever did because it's like this whole wall where like they have this rubber mold of Robert Unglund's face like sticking out of a wall and it's pretty good actually. Speaking of Robert Unglund real quick, Robert Unglund is just got cast in the fourth season of Stranger Things and I was just like that's fucking amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking fantastic man. If they only start going down the list and start getting some of the other like big, you know, 1980s horror movie stars in Stranger Things, I think it's going to be really interesting what they do with that. Yeah. You know what I just saw today, Paul, that's absolutely fucking terrible? Is What's that? It's a, it's a prestige movie that's meant to win Oscars, and it is Hillbilly Elegy on oh. Netflix. It is fucking horrible, dude. It's got a 39 on Metacritic currently, <laughs> The only thing that it has going for it is that Glenn Close is great in it. Like, if she gets Oscar consideration for her role, she fucking deserves it. Like, she is detailed and meticulous about her role, and she's fucking great in it. And, like, yeah. Amy Adams is really good in it, too. But overall, the movie is just, like, this fucking awful, like, white boy makes good, why can't everybody else in Appalachia make good kind of story that, like, pisses me off. I'm like, okay, this this doesn't at all, like, analyze why Appalachia is the way that it is. Like, it just yeah. kind of glosses over all that shit. It's fucking awful. On top of the fact that, like, Ron Howard has been shitting the bed constantly <laughs> for, like, the last ten years. Easily the last ten years he's been shitting the bed. And I'm yeah. like... Just stop directing, man. You know what? Like, just produce for a while, for Christ's sake. <laughs> anyway, thank you guys once again for joining us. This is the Movie Dicks Podcast. I am Gabriel Chavez. And I'm Paul Schendel. Thank you guys. Have a great night.